Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's the first time in the Bible that you find that word. That's the last time in the Bible you find that word. It's not used any other place. The servants are called trained, they're called instructed here. And they were born in his house. And so they were born in his house, so they were trained in Abraham's house. This shows us something, really something, something important about Abraham. It gives us insight into him. See, these were Abraham's servants that were born in his house, And it shows us Abraham's view of these people, of these servants. Because Abraham viewed these servants that were born in his house as Abraham's opportunity to train these souls. Abraham saw them as Abraham's opportunity to instruct them. And we should, that's a great picture of us of Abraham because what it shows here is how we should not view our children as <laughs> indentured servants <laughs> to get our work done. You know, we shouldn't say to our children like I used to say to my three boys on the goat ranch, I used to say, you know why God gave us three boys? Because there's a lot of hard work to be done here. <laughs> so we needed boys and not girls. And then our boys used to say, boy, we sure are glad we weren't born girls. But anyway, that didn't help in their social development. But... <laughs> But uh, our children are not to get our work done. Our children are God's given opportunity, opportunity given to us to train them, to instruct them, to have an influence on them. That's why I love our school in Takati, because the 100 kids, when they start, they start, they start with us when they're 40. We just had our graduation a few weeks ago, and we had the first graduates of those who entered our school at 42 days old. <laughs> That's when we take them, 42 days old, and then they stay with us till they're six years old. Why, why is that such a great thing? Because it's God's given opportunity that we have to train them, to instruct them. And Abraham saw his servants not given to him to get his work done, but as God's opportunity to train and instruct these people. So what did he do? What did Abraham train them? What did he instruct his servants to do? Well, if you'd like to turn over a couple chapters to chapter 18, Genesis 18, verses 17 through 19, we see something very interesting here, and we're going to come to it later, but this is a passage that is preceding the destruction, the sudden destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin, and, and nobody knows. It's a secret. Nobody knows that God's about to suddenly destroy Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a secret. So in this passage, it starts out with God arguing with himself. <laughs> it's funny. It says in verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So he starts off, he's he's, he's like discussing with himself. God's discussing with himself. You know, should I really hide from Abraham the thing which I do? He's like arguing. Should I keep it a secret 
from Abraham, which I'm, what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it seems like God's sort of struggling over the whole thing. He's, the issue is God is going to soon, he's going to suddenly destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a secret. It's going to catch them by surprise. And he says, should I really keep this a secret from Abraham? And so he decides to tell Abraham the secret. He, he, he decides, okay, no, I know, I'm going to tell Abraham the secret. It reminds us in Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So he engages in this passage here, Abraham, in this friend-to-friend conversation. Very friendly conversation. And in this conversation, Abraham now reveals his secret that he's about to suddenly destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. You know, through the Bible, we read, these, we read truths, and, it's, and, and others can say, so what? But for us, we go, oh, no, this is wonderful. I see something here. See something here. That's what he meant. That's what the Lord Jesus meant when he said in John 15, 15, henceforth, I call you not servants. The servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Friends revealing secrets. And that's what he's doing here with Abraham. And the question is, why did God decide to have this friend-to-friend disclosure of this great secret that he was about to suddenly destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And the reason is given in verse 19. I know him, God says. He settles the issue. I know him. He is going to command. He's going to rule his children and his household after him. They'll keep the way of the Lord. They're going to do justice. They're going to do judgment, so forth. So he says about Abraham, he says, I know Abraham. Now, of course, God knows everything. He's omniscient. (laughs) But he knows something about Abraham. He knows who this person Abraham is. He knows who he is. Who is he? He knew, he knows, from what we've already seen in chapters 12, 13, and 14, that this is a man who knew that he needed God, that he needed the grace of God. He knew what Abraham was. He knew that Abraham was a man who had devoted himself to God. He had devoted his life to seek the grace of God. And he knew what Abraham would do. He knew that Abraham, what he would do through the grace of God, that God was going to give him the grace. He knew that Abraham was going to command his children, his household after him. He knew that Abraham was going to train not just his children, as it says there in that verse, but it was going to train also his household, those born in his house. That's why these 318 men in verse 14, chapter 14, 14, are called his trained servants born in his house. What were they trained to do? They were trained to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment in in, uh, Genesis 18, 19. So in the home... Abraham was the type of person who trained or instructed his own children and his servants in the same way, in the same way. In the home, Abraham was the father of his household. And as the father of the house, Abraham served his house. He served his family in three capacities. He served them as the prophet in the home. He served them as the priest in the home and he served them as the king in the home. So first, as the prophet in the home, 
Abraham served them by teaching. He taught his children, he taught his servants about Jehovah, about Jehovah Jesus. He taught them in humility. He served as the prophet in the home by teaching them how God was the place where you can find repair. God is the place where I can find repair. God is the place where God is the place where man is repaired. He taught them how about what his altars were all about. As a prophet in the home, Abraham served by teaching them how the secret to having the love and power that he had in verse four, in chapter 14, it comes from having, as we said, this real, this strong, this active, this powerful, this secret, private life with God. And as a prophet in the home, he served his, by teaching his children and his servants that individually, you and you and you, you should have. And how can I help you have a real, a strong, an active, a powerful, a secret, private life with God? As a prophet in the home, Abraham served them by teaching them how you need God. You need to be repaired by God. You can have the great exchange that I had. That's what he did. Now, as Abraham taught his household, he was like uh, the farmers uh, in, in El Centro, in Imperial Valley. You know, before May 14, 1901, the Imperial Valley was a non-productive desert. But that was a big date. May 14, 1901 is when the water started to flow there. That's my wife's birthday, May 14th. She wasn't born in 1901. <laughs> but <laughs> that's her birthday. I always remember that. So that was the day when the, when the government opened up the aqueducts and the Colorado River water flowed into to, to Imperial Valley there, and it was free to the farmers. And today they use about one trillion gallons of water per year, and they produce, among other things, the things that we're interested in is the alfalfa hay, and they produce about two million tons of alfalfa hay per year. So now you're very happy to know that information. <laughs> but the water was free. The water was free, but the government did not bring the water to the farms. Each farmer had to dig his own water ditches to bring the water to his own farm. Each farmer had to channel the free water to his own farm. And the ground of each farmer, it, it, it didn't do anything unless they brought the free water there. And then when it did, it just blossomed. And you know the productivity of the Imperial Valley. So living near the free water didn't do anything for any farmer. It was only when each farmer got to work and channeled the water to his own farm. That's what Abraham did as a prophet in his home. He channeled the free water of the knowledge of God into his own home. And when Abraham was prophet in his home, he took the time to teach his household. And he was, what he was doing there, he was channeling the free water of the knowledge of God into his household. As a prophet, Abraham served his home by being the prophet in the home. Next, Abraham was the priest in the home. Abraham served his children, he served his servants by praying for each one of them as a priest. He knew that he could not intelligently, and you and I cannot also, intelligently pray for anyone unless we know them. And Abraham took time with all of those people in his household to get to know them. So that when he prayed, he didn't pray off of a two-dimensional piece of paper with a person's name on it. He prayed with a three-dimensional picture in his mind. And he saw each person because he knew each person, because he spent time to get to know each person in his household so he could pray for them. He, he knew the strengths of those people. 
in his household. He knew their weaknesses, so he could pray for them. He knew their aspirations of each one of them, so he could pray for them. And that was hard work, and that is hard work for us as well, to know the people we pray for, to know each one's strengths, their weaknesses, their aspirations. And why did he do that? Because that's what it took for Abraham to be the priest in the home. He was serving his household by interceding for each one of them. And as he prayed for each one of them, he sees the three-dimensional picture in his mind. He sees them. He sees them in their strengths individually. He sees them in their weaknesses. He sees them in their aspirations. That's what Job was doing as the priest of his household when it says in Job 1.5, it says Job offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, speaking of his children, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Just thus did Job continually. That's the picture of a faithful priest in the home, Job. That's what he was doing, serving his family as a priest in the home, interceding to God for each one. And every morning in Takati, our school staff, they meet in groups and they pray for each one of the 100 students there. They intercede for each one of the 100 students. They know each student's strengths and weaknesses and aspirations. And as I said, when they're six years old, they graduate from our school. And, and, and what we do is that for the month before they graduate, we create this memorial, this memorial video of the graduating students and of their, of their aspirations. So as six-year-olds, we, we've, we've been with them for a long time. We know them. We know what their aspirations are. We know what they want to become when they grow up. And so for the month before graduation, our video team and our graphics team, they dress up the students in what they want to be. A little, they dress them up as little teachers, little scientists, little architects, little doctors, little ballerinas, little singers, little firemen, and little veterinarians. And then, we, and then for the month before, we go in Takati to the schools, or well, our school, and the laboratories, well, our laboratory. And the construction sites, well, our construction sites. And we go to the hospitals and the ballet studios and the recording studios and the fire stations and the animal hospitals. And then our little graduating six-year-olds act out being a teacher and, and, and scientist and architect and, and so forth. And then for graduation day, we show that video in our auditorium and give them each a copy. So, and we pray. We pray to God for each student that they will honor God in their lives by standing up for God and by speaking out for God. So we talk to God for, about each student. And as the prophet in the home, Abraham talked to his household about God. And then as the priest in the home, Abraham talked to God about his household. So as the prophet in the home, Abraham prays with his family. As the priest in the home, Abraham prays for his family. And then as king in the home, as king in the home, he uses authority. He uses authority to guide his household. That's what God said. I know Abraham. He's going to command. He's going he's to be a faithful king in the home. He's going to command them to honor God by keeping the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. So he serves his household. Abraham's serving his household by having them all meet together for times of instruction and prayer. And king in the home, he's, he, he's not wishy-washy. Abraham's not wishy-washy. He doesn't, he's not looking at other homes who didn't care to honor God and said, well, that's, that's now how, he, he says, let them do what they want. He didn't do that. He really took the position of Joshua. When Joshua says, really looked at all the others and he said, look, Joshua 24, 15, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your fathers served on the other, they were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me 
In my house, decisions made. We will serve the Lord. By training his household, Abraham was doing what it says in Proverbs 22.16, where it says, train up a child, 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart for it. That word train, chanak, that word train means to narrow. It's a narrow. That's what it means. It means to narrow. Literally, it means to narrow a child in the way he should go. People might look at Abraham's household and say, your household is too narrow. You don't, let your, you don't let your household have fun. They don't go to wild parties. and so It's too narrow, Abraham. And that's, that's exactly what Abraham was doing. That's what the obedient, believing parent does. He narrows his child in the way he should go. Others can, you can't. Others may criticize, but we want so much to hear God say, I know him, that he will command his children in his household. I know him. He'll take control and lead his family. I know him. He won't let his family just float and drift down the Niagara River of the world. I know him. He will command his children. And remember that this strong leadership that Abraham had was, was not the proud, you know, I'm always right. And he didn't have that kind of attitude, you know. Um, remember who we're studying about here. This is Abraham, who in chapter 12 had sinned as a coward. And this is Abraham, who in chapter 13, who confessed his sin and was repaired by God. This is Abraham, who in chapter 13 humbled himself before Lot and submitted to younger Lot, calling him from that point on brother. Why? For the love of peace and the love of unity. That's why it says that Abraham trained his servants born in his house. He did you know, he didn't say to his, save, his servants, no, you all live like you want to live. You know, you're not my flesh and blood, but let me tell you something. My tent door separates between you and me. He didn't have that attitude at all. Because Abraham said, in essence, to his servants, I, I love you. I will serve you as my own children. As your prophet, I will teach you. As your priest, I will pray for you. As your king, I will guide and command you. So it was a blessing to be in Abraham's home. It was a great thing. One of those blessed ones was Eliezer of Damascus, who we're going to see later on, and we're going to study the great things that happened in chapter 24. He was trained in knowing God. And Abraham's children and the servants were all trained to follow Abraham. And when God commanded Abraham to circumcise, in, chap- in, the, in the chapter we're going to come to in chapter 17, and God said, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, it shall be a token of covenant betwixt me and you, in chapter 17, verse 11. Abraham circumcised himself and everyone in his house, as it says in, in chapter 17, verse 23. Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the children, the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That's something. Why? Because Abraham had trained his children and his servants. He said, me first, you follow. Now, he was faithful, and God revealed the secret to him that he was going to suddenly destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he revealed that secret to Abraham, it was a great gift to Abraham. The gift was Abraham had an opportunity to intercede, which he did in chapter 18, to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a special opportunity for Abraham to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah, to pray for mercy 
That, and he did. He took it. He, he said, if there's just 10 righteous people, we have spared the city. And he got the promise. That's a challenge for us. Because just as God did for Abraham, God reveals to us, as we read his word, that sudden destruction is going to come. On the, it's just around the corner for the lost. And, and, and we're to pray for them, and we're to intercede for them, and make sure that God does not say about us what he said in Isaiah 59, 16. And he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Now, we see in verse 14 that Abraham pursues the captives all the way to Dan, which is just above the Lake of Galilee. Very long distance, about two weeks, about 200 miles. And in verse 15, we see that after a long journey all the way to Dan, above the Lake of Galilee, which is so, so we can imagine Abraham, he's, you know, he's been traveling for all this time to finally reach his enemy. And then he reaches his enemy. There they were, tens of thousands of them. It's a pleasant evening. We can imagine the enemy is close to going home to Syria. Close. And, and, and it's been a long time. It's been two weeks for them since they've been in battle. And they're feeling all secure and all at ease. And the war's over. And they spoiled their enemies. And they've got men captives and women captives and goods. And they had those, those, all that for two weeks and they have no idea that they're being pursued by an army of 319. And as the enemy beds down that night, the last thing they expect is an attack. And that's how Abraham finds them, all peacefully settled down, sleeping at night. And he decides that against tens of thousands, he has to use the element of surprise. And so he, he has to appear to be a much larger army than he has, so he divides his, his group into two parts. And he has, to catch the, he has to catch them off guard. So he decides to attack them when they're asleep. And we can imagine Abraham doing the math. And he, says, and he, and he turns to his men. He says, men, each one of you is going to have to keep a tight grip on your swords. That's a big army out there. And by my calculation, you have to, each one of you, be prepared to kill 100 men. And we can imagine that Abraham, before the attack, he says, now before we attack, he says, I've got to get alone with God. And he gets alone with God, and he calls on the name of the Lord to help him in this battle, one against a hundred. And, and then he gives the signal, they attack, and from the two sides, and the killing is great. It's a great slaughter. And the enemy doesn't know what hit them. The enemy is shocked. The enemy doesn't know what's happening. And instead of getting their weapons and fighting, they decide to run for their lives. And they run for their lives all the way to, into Syria on the left of Damascus to this place. And there Abraham just lets the, rest, the, the survivors go and comes back to Dan and recovers everything the enemy has left behind, as it says in verse 16. The, all the goods, the, again, his brother, Lot, his goods, the women also, and the people. And now Abraham, in verse 17, he is returning triumphant with all the goods from the conquered kings and all the people and all the children, the, 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 the women and, and Lot and his goods. And maybe Abraham is saying to himself, you know what, it's been a long, exhausting month. A month of pursuit, a month of battle, a month of recovery. I'm tired. I want to get home. And maybe he's thinking that maybe now I can finally let my guard down and relax. Enough with the killing. But as the Japanese proverb says, after the victory, the shogun is told, Tighten your helmet straps. You can't relax. And Kedar Loarmi, Loamer, you know who I'm talking about. Abraham's enemy, he may have been slaughtered, but Satan, Abraham's enemy, he wasn't slaughtered. And a counterattack is about to be mounted against Abraham. And this counterattack, in Abraham's exhausted state, 
starts with the exaltation of Abraham, the great military hero. Abraham, the great military hero who just hero who just slaughtered tens of thousands with just 319 men. And here comes the temptation in verse 17. Who comes out to applaud Abraham, to congratulate Abraham? The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedar Laomer and of the kings who were with him and so forth. We'll have to stop there. Father, thank you so much for being faithful to Abraham, to watch over him even in his weakness all along the way, to send him just what he needs. It reminds us, Lord, of how you sent angels to strengthen the Lord Jesus in the temptation of the wilderness. Thank you, Father, for who you are in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator, and I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.